Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Lord, we're just about ready to preach right here, homie. Amen. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. I want to read a few verses of scripture tonight, starting with verse 15. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, bitter weeping. Rahel, which is really Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping, thine eyes from tears. For thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. To their own border. For just a little while tonight, I want to minister along these lines. There is hope in the end. There is hope in the end. Hallelujah. Can you help me right now pray that God would touch our hearts and minds afresh right now? God, I'm asking, Lord, for your help this evening. We need it, Lord Jesus, in this place. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, let there be a fit word, an appropriate word. God, for your people. I pray, oh God, anoint my mind and my lips, God. Mark any air from them. May God, to say this, Lord, in a way that it is understandable, that it can be grasped. God, that it can be something that someone can pull into their spirit, be food for their soul. I pray, oh God, today, let the anointing of your presence, God, break shackles and chains in this house tonight. God, that looming spirit of despair and depression, God, that I have felt, Lord Jesus, in this house, God, let it be dispatched in the name of Christ. Let there be a lifting, Lord, of souls and a lifting, God, of spirits in this place. Let there be the banner of victory that would fly high above the heads of your people. God, and we'll praise you for it, Lord. Hallelujah. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered in this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. We'll thank you for it. The lovely name of the Lord, I pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, can we just give him some praise right now? Can we just erupt in some praise right now? God, oh God. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Take up precedence, Lord, in the four corners of this house. Hallelujah. God, 
union belongs to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Shake a person's hand before you're seated, if you will. Everybody say, there is hope in the end. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is quite a peculiar book within itself. Its backdrop and its background is quite deplorable. Jeremiah is prophesying throughout the book that is after his name during a very horrific time. It is, if you will, one of the darkest times of a nation of Israel, what they had known. Everything that could happen was happening. There seemed to be a common thread of negativity that was facing the nation of Israel. And Jeremiah lifts his voice during this time to be a prophet of warning, to be a prophet that's calling God's people back to repentance, this being a voice of hope during a very, very dismal time. And during this time, we understand that when Jeremiah would have started his ministry, that the northern kingdom of Israel that was comprised of the ten tribes have already been taken away into Assyrian captivity. And it would be played out in the life of Jeremiah and the book that bears his name, that Judah and the two tribes that composed Judah, Judah and Benjamin, would be carried away into Babylonian captivity. This is a time in which people who had had their native land, who had dwelt there, ate there, built homes there, harvested fields there, and ate the fruit thereof, was going to be extracted from that land that they were familiar with, extracted from that home that they accounted as their own to a country that would be totally foreign to them, to people over and in their life that would be totally foreign to them. As there would be voices of singing and grinding of the millstone and harps being played in their native land, they would go to a Babylonian captivity that they would even question how can we sing the Lord's song in this type of land. It was a dismal time. It was a dark time. It was a time of great woe for those of the southern kingdom, those of the house, if you will, of Judah. The Bible describes to you and I tonight that there was a voice that was being heard in Ramah. There was a voice of lamentation. There was some bitter weeping that was taking place. And it was Rachel that was weeping for her children. Really, what is being spoken here, Rachel is already cold in her grave. 
Rachel's already perhaps a heap of ash where she was buried. But just like we have our modern day terminology and our little cliches, they had theirs as well. You know how in our day to somehow describe the severity of a matter or how blown back that someone might be over something that's happening or taking place, we might have said in our conversations, well, you know, if Aunt Myrtle knew that, she would turn over in her grave just to describe the severity and how serious and how just baffling it would be about the circumstances. And so they used a similar terminology that what was happening to uh, the tribes right now and this great woe and the lamentation and the despair that the people were met with, it would make a dead lady cry out even from the grave that all of this that was taking place and happening because the Bible speaks in the Old Testament of a time that Rachel did cry and that she was mourning because she was a lady that was barren she was a lady that was without children she could not uh, bring children into uh, unto her husband and, and she didn't have that ability to do so and she even looked at her husband and said hey why don't you give me children else I die she cried and his response to hers, am I not uh, better to you than ten, than, than ten sons? And she still had an agony in her spirit and in her soul for wanting children. And by the providence of God, God opened her womb and did allow for her to birth two sons, one by the name of Joseph and the other by the name of Benjamin. And Joseph would have his descendants and Benjamin would have his descendants but what's happening right now in Jeremiah the Assyrian captivity has already taken place the ten tribes if you will of the northern kingdom has already been stolen away from their native homeland Joseph has two sons Manasseh Joseph and Manasseh Manasseh and Ephraim rather that was came from the loins of Joseph those are two tribes that had already been taken away to captivity and now Judah is at stake Judah and Benjamin are at stake of being taken into captivity stolen from their home if you will I want you to understand these are the descendants of Rachel's two children these are the descendants of Joseph the descendants if you will of Benjamin and so there is a cry and a lamentation then that they're speaking of of Rachel amen she cannot be comforted because her children are not it's not speaking of the children that wasn't born to her in the past times of her life but now the children and their offspring and the descendants of Joseph and Benjamin now they're not in their homeland their native land the land that God had allotted to them and given to them drawn out their borders and said walk the height width and breadth of it it's yours to well there eat there live there raise children there but now they're being stolen away from that land and they are not weeping. Bitter weeping, the Bible says, is taking place. Lamentation is taking place. Jeremiah heard it. He heard the weeping, if you will, Rachel weeping at Ramah. How could Jeremiah hear that? He didn't hear really the voice of Rachel as it were, but he heard the voice of the descendants of Rachel as it were. They're weeping at Ramah because Jeremiah told us in the 40th chapter that whenever they were 
collecting the Jews to take them away to Babylonian captivity. They had a holding cell, if you will, a holding spot for them as they collected them before they made their journey to Babylon. And it was at Ramah that they took the Jews and they put chains upon their feet and chains upon their arms. And it was all the way from that place of that holding cell that Jeremiah says, I can hear the lamentation and I can hear the cry of the descendants of Rachel there. This is a dismal hour. This is an hour of hopelessness. This is an hour that I don't know if we'll ever be able to rise above this and they're all being taken away. And so this is a horrific time. Oh, Rachel, if you only knew that you would give birth to a couple of sons that would have offspring that would just be raked away from the land that God intended for them to have. I wonder if you would have pleaded so much to even have any children, pleaded so much even to have any sons, for them might to be able to enjoy the bounty of God and the bounty of the land and the privileges of the land just for them to be carried away captive to a land that was foreign to them that they would not know. Rachel, I hear the cry of your descendants concerning this matter. Can someone say amen? Oh God, she's weeping, refuses to be comforted. Hallelujah. Nothing's happening right now. It is an idea of hopelessness. Scripture even tells us that see the word God came. He said 70 years this is going to be your plight in life. For 70 years this is going to be the case. Northern kingdom's already taken. But now the southern kingdom Judah. (laughs) Judah's being taken. Praise is being taken. It's being captivated. It's being incarcerated. It's being if you will to a holding cell. It's being chained. It's being shackled. He said praise Judah, Benjamin, all of them, they're being shackled now together. This this is a dismal time whenever the voices of praise become silent. Whenever the voices of adoration and exaltation fade in the distance and dissipate. When nobody else are singing the songs. There's nobody else treading the wine press right now. Nobody else is working the millstone. This is a dismal hour. It's an hour without hope. It's an hour, if you will, without reversal. As we look at it from this standpoint and from this point of view, could someone say amen? Amen. But as this was a dark hour and Jeremiah seemed to be a prophet of doom and gloom, but he was just speaking the word of the Lord. While there's people that cannot be comforted because of their circumstance and their situation being taken from what they had enjoyed and what they had known. The Bible tells us that the Lord spoke and he said, wait a minute. He said, they're over there crying and they can't be comforted. They're very long in their cries. They have a bitter lament, a bitter weeping. He says, but wait, hey, Hallelujah. Don't start up the band of the mourners just quite yet. He said, refrain their voice from weeping. In other words, you need to quiet them down. You need to stop them right where they're at. I know they're bitter in spirit. I know they're thinking about what they're losing. Amen. Everything that they gained through their heritage, everything they gained through their ancestry, what they are losing. But don't let them don't let them continue crying. Make them stop. Help them to refrain from from weeping. Oh, someone say amen. 
He says, because the eyes of the Lord has seen their work. The eyes of the Lord has seen their diligence. The eyes of the Lord seen them active when nobody was there to applaud them, when nobody was there to praise them, when nobody was there to undergird them. The eye of the Lord seen their work and he's not ignorant of that. And yes, they may be in captivity for a time, but that's not going to be forever. Yes, it may seem like hopelessness for a time, but that's not going to be forever. I'm still preaching this morning to a group of people that's been somehow raped of their land and the place of their nativity and the heritage and the ancestry and the bounty that God has allowed to flow in your life and you're bitter in lamentation, bitter in weeping and say, God, this is more than I can endure. I don't know if there's any hope. I don't know if this storm is gonna break. I come to tell somebody tonight, refrain from weeping, refrain from weeping. Someone say yes. yes. He says, he says, I'm going to reward you for thy work, for thy work. Hmm. Let me tell some people that sit under the sound of my voice tonight. Whenever you was diligent when no one else was diligent, God seen that. When you were faithful when nobody else was faithful, God seen that. Whenever you gave, whenever you didn't have the money to give, God seen that. Whenever you prayed, whenever you didn't feel like praying, God seen that. And I'm here to tell you, you have no cause for weeping, no cause for being sorrowful. This is just momentary. This is just a blip on the radar. is hope in thine info. So they would trot off and they would trudge off, amen, away from their land, away from their country, away from what was familiar to them, away from the fruit of their field. They would trot off toward Babylon with all of the knowledge that they're not going to see that for some time. But that wouldn't be the only knowledge that they would trot off with. They would trot off with the other knowledge that this is not a permanent thing. This is not the last nail in the coffin. This thing's not over. I have a word from the Lord that while I was weeping at Ramah, waiting to be carried into a desolate place God said you stop your crying because this isn't going to be forever I need to tell somebody in this house tonight that you might be in a land foreign to you and you might be in circumstances that are dismal right now but hold on to what the Lord said before you ever got in that circumstance don't cry honey there's hope in the end for you 
Clap your hands unto the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I feel God breaking some things in this house. Man, I felt gloom, doom, and despair when I first walked up here, but I'm feeling a little liberation in God right now. Yes! Ho, ho, ho. Hola, Messiah. I got one in one of those pockets, guys. Thank you. My mom was worried about me this morning, sweating so much, and I having a hanky. I said, no, I had one. Mom is just over there. I like this, though. For thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. Jeremiah, they shall come again from the land of their enemy. And there is hope and their end. It's not finished. It's not over. The 70 years right there is just going to be something in progress, but it's far from being the end. It's because if it's the end, there's going to be a glistening hope that's there. I like what he said, saith the Lord. He said that thy children, look, he didn't just say that they'll, they'll leave and again come from the land of the enemy, but he continues to say that the children shall come. He says this is where they're coming from, but this is where they're going to. They're being taken somewhere that's not of their own accord. He said, but they're going to leave that someday and they're going to come again. Not to somebody else's inheritance. Not to somebody else's bounty. But what they left when they started on this journey to Babylon, years from now, they're going to return to what they left. Someone hear me right now. I'm talking to somebody whose praise Judah was taken captive. I'm talking to somebody whose praise may have waxed a little faint here of late. That may have somehow it's kind of trying to find your bootstraps to pull up in order to get anything out of your mouth or through your body by means of praise. Honey, don't fret. Don't fear. It's not always going to be that way. Whenever this thing is all over, there's hope in the end. And you're going to grab the tambourine you laid down. You're going to get the voice back of adoration that you lost. God is going to restore it to you because there's hope in the end for you. Oh God. I want you to consider this. Consider this. Consider it well. Whatever he says, and there is hope in thine end. The word end in, of a, in and of itself, the word end refers to what terminates. There is hope in thine end. And notice the marked contrast between the end and how this thing began. Because being people, being humanity, Wheeling on the idea that if it started bad, it ends bad. 
If it started hopeless, it ends hopeless. If it started devoid of things that I needed, it's going to end devoid of things I needed. But that's not the case here in this dismal time in Jeremiah's day. Look at the contrast. It starts out bad. It starts out despicable. There's bitter weeping and lamentation. But before and after, might I say, 70 years are done, there's some same people and descendants that's trudging back into the country, and there's a new song in their lips. Mm, where they hung the harp on the willow. They're jumping up to the branches and trying to get it back down because I got a new song to I got a new song to sing where they went out with their head bowed down walking and trudging along. They are now fully, their heads up, they're erect. They're walking with boldness and confidence. Why? Because this this thing did not end the way that it started because God gave them a promise from the beginning of the trouble. Refrain from crying, you shall have hope. Hope! Hope! In the end. Now I want you to consider something here. This, this seems very critical and crucial to me. Here it seems like the descendants of Rachel's tears can't be even dried up hardly. It's not long after that we start seeing the lamentation, the moaning, the Bible says, of Ephraim. Amen. Which is one of the descendants of Rachel. The moaning of Ephraim. And it wasn't necessarily for his sake, but for the sins that he had committed. He had done some things wrong. But as they started for Babylon, as they were taken from Ramah where they were housed at, chained and shackled at, knew it would only be moments so they left that, that place they knew so well. That as they started for Babylon, oh God help me right here. God gave some more instruction. He says, not only do I want you to refrain from crying. Oh God, I feel the Holy Ghost. He said, but as you make the road from where you are and from where you desire to be to captivity to Babylon, as you make your road there, he said in verse 21, look at it now. He said, set thee up way marks he said make thee high heaps set thine heart toward the highway even the way which thou wentest turn again O virgin of Israel turn again to these thy cities what is he saying <laughs> northern kingdom already been taken away in Assyrian and the Assyrian captivity Judah the two tribes taken away in the Babylonian captivity Babylon eventually takes over Syria and so underneath the umbrella of Babylon is both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom all 12 tribes that had been split under the umbrella now of one taskmaster called Babylon. But the Lord spoke to those Judah people and those Benjamin people. He says, while they're taking you on this road out of the land of promise, out of, of the place that you're familiar with, that you call home where is the bounty of God. He said, don't travel that road. 
without putting up some landmarks and putting together these stones and making little stone hills and you demark every turn, every corner, every place along your journey, amen, from where you are to Babylon because one of these days I'm going to set your feet back on that road. And it's going to be by the landmarks you made on your exit out. That's going to help you to find your way back. Somebody listen to this preacher right now. We need not to forsake the idea that although we might be in a place that we don't like and it's deplorable, you need to set up some landmarks. You need to set up some markers along the road because you're not always going to be in captivity. You're not always going to be depressed. You're not always going to be financially strapped. And God wants you to be able to find your way back. We did a lot. I've done a lot of traveling. I've been to a lot of places twice. I've been places where I followed people too, and then they would ask, Can you find your way back? And I traveled for a living. So I wasn't stupid. If I followed somebody, this is, we didn't have GPS when we traveled, we didn't have it on the phone. It was called an Atlas. I'll show you one if you've never seen one. I'll show you one. I still got one. I still carry one in my vehicle. Because Brother Zach McGee, it doesn't tell me when I flip the page recalculating. I dare to say right now, I've been turned around more times with a GPS than I was with an Atlas ever. Now, we're not going to rip the air conditioner out of the church and put sawdust floors here anytime soon. I've been following people sometimes to places. And, the, you know, I've never been there before. And they say, can you find your way back? You know, we go to the eating joint. Maybe I'm staying some. Can you find your way back? Well, I'm not ignorant. You know what I did on my way there? I recognized Burger King was at the corner of Poplar and Market. And I, I'm not speaking for here, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Someone said, you're at the market. No, that's not. Burger King is not a Poplar Market. I, I noticed that old crooked oak tree, you know. Was, you know, looked like it was a mutation of, of vegetation. and So that was kind of peculiar. And so whenever I started going back to wherever I was, okay, there it is, there it is, there it is. Or even going back a second time to somewhere I'd been before. I relied a little bit on the atlas, but I could always sense if, you know what, this just don't seem right. I don't remember that. Or something would give you confirmation. Oh yeah, this we're going to write. I remember that. Listen to me here. These folks were going to be in captivity for 70 years. Could you imagine the memory lapse that could happen over 70 years? Forgetting where certain things were or how to find your way back to the thing that you used to love? I would like to say that everybody's departure being raped away from the bounty and the goodness of God would last maybe a day. But I'm disheartened to tell you that sometimes it's longer than that. Sometimes the, 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 the darkness and the clouds of woe hang around a whole lot longer than that. 
Sometimes, Brother Zach McGee, to my disadvantage, that whenever it comes time that I can make my way back, if I'm not putting up some landmarks, you understand the diligence and even maybe some of the secrecy that had to accompany that as they're being marched in their chains to be able to grab a few stones and make a little pile that says we want to remember this turn right here because if we turn the other direction the consequences are going to be worse than this Babylon captivity that we've been in and so they put those little landmarks and so 70 years from now when there's hope in their end and I like what the scripture said. Can you put it back up, Brother McGee, verse 21? I like what the scripture said. You know what the Lord told him? This is awesome to me. He tells him to set up these way marks, make the high heaps. I love this next phrase. He said, set thine heart toward the highway. In other words, guys, we might be in this foreign land and they might be controlling what we do and when we do. Oh, Shia, hallelujah. They might be regulating and dictating a lot of the things, but there's one thing they can't control. They can't control where I set the affection of my heart. You know, circumstances in your life can dictate a lot in your life. I mean, man, they can really dictate some things and put some rigid guidelines on your life. But there's one thing they absolutely cannot, unless you allow it. And I know that's a hard even thing within itself sometimes. But one thing they cannot do, they cannot dictate the affections of your heart. God said, boys, he says, we're going. He said, but even while you're there and on your trip there, you can always keep your heart set up on that highway back to home. Set your oh God, let your heart be set on that pathway and that road that leads back toward home. Because the way that led you out will be the way that leads you back home. The way that pulls you away will be the way that you go back home. If you can stand for me this evening, I'm closing very quickly. You remember, you know, almost, you know, old fairy tale. You remember the little story of Hansel and Gretel? You remember that? Yeah. Hansel and Gretel. Food's kind of getting scarce. Mom and dad says we'll take them into the woods, build a fire, say we're going to gather some wood, just rest there, and we'll let you know when it's time to go home. But really, he's going to make the fire, let the kids rest there. Mom and dad was going to go back home. Leave them in the woods so they couldn't find their way back to the house and they could go on and live. And, huh, minus two. <laughs> and we all times concentrate, you know, it was the bread, but if you remember, the bread was ate by the birds. The first way that they ever made it home the first time is that Hansel was telling his sister, don't fret, don't worry about all this. And he goes outside, it's dark. The moon is just glistening. And the light of the moon... There's some stones there in the front yard that in the light of the moon just glisten. Just glisten almost like, like reflectors. He picks up some of those stones, put them in his pocket. They're traveling that first day out in the woods because they had overheard the, 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 the scheme of mom and dad. 
as they're going out there's dads i said what are you doing hansel oh i'm just looking back at the you know squirrel bird i don't remember what he was doing he was dropping those stones along the way but the stones really didn't provide no aid during the daylight it was only under the cover of darkness Whenever they awoke from that fire, night had already settled in. Darkness had covered their land. No doubt, figuratively and literally. But because of the stones and the way markers he had made along the way, they shined their brightest whenever it was the darkest. And I'm telling you tonight, you need to leave some things along the way that in your life, whenever it's the darkest, whenever it's the most despicable, that they're shining as a beacon of hope to guide you back home. This almost may seem a little redundant because of what I ministered this morning, but I feel compelled today deep in my spirit here at the First Apostolic Church that people needed to be reassured that there were places they could lay their burdens and that there is hope in the end that while tears may be streaming down your face hear the words of Jeremiah refrain from crying refrain from weeping bitterly because it's not always going to be as it is right now there's hope someone say there's hope Someone say there's hope for me. Someone say there's hope for my circumstances. God, I feel that right now. We're going to all open up these altars this evening. There may be somebody sitting out there that even still yet through the course of the ministry of this word that may be connected with something said. And all you can think about is, man, what are we leaving behind? How long is this going to take? These shackles, really? These chains, really? But remember, child of God, the Lord's going to reward you for your work. Oh, God. Ta-ta. God's going to reward you for your work. He's going to reward you for your diligence. He's going to reward you for your faithfulness. He's going to reward you. Going to reward you for standing while others were tucking tail and running. He's going to reward you. He's going to reward you for your work. These altars. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.